Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the pep talk version of the Taking Care of Business podcast. This is your host, Dan Trottencheck. I appreciate you joining us today. Uh, today, we're going to get uh, into some issues uh, around COVID-19 and how they impact the workplace. Uh, you know, we get so many questions and have gotten so many questions at NRHA that are kind of illegal in nature about what should I do if this happens? What shouldn't I do if this happens? And so we thought what would probably be best is to, rather than just referring you to someone who's dealt with it or kind of giving you some uh, of what we've heard from the field, we thought it would be best to actually bring in a legal professional. So our guest today on Taking Care of Business is Mick Terrell, who is a partner with Taft Law, which is a regional law firm uh, here in the Midwest. And Mick's specialty is labor and employment law. So Mick, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Well, thanks a lot, Dan. I appreciate the invite. Uh, enjoy uh, doing these types of things. Uh, as we all know, this COVID-19 uh, pandemic has created a multitude of issues that everyone is facing for the very first time. Uh, it's it's a very uh, anxious moment for employers. And so I, I like what you're doing, trying to answer some of these questions, and I hope I can be of some assistance today. But I've been a labor and employment lawyer for over 34 years, hard to believe. I've yeah. uh, been, been doing it for 34 years. I head up the Taft Labor and Employment law department in Indianapolis. Our law firm has over 600 lawyers uh, spread out over uh, six states, in the, primarily in the Midwest. Um, and we're a full service law firm, but, but we have a very um, healthy and deep labor and employment law department. And we are staying 24-7 busy on COVID-19 oh, yeah. types of questions. Uh, the first three weeks, I literally came into my home office, would start working at 7 a.m. and would get off the phone at approximately 10 p.m. at night. And that went on for two to three weeks, almost six days a week. So it's a it's a really challenging time, but uh, hopefully we can answer some of the questions here today. Yeah, I, I mean, I can, I can only imagine... Um, you, you know, just based on the volume of questions we get coming into our offices. And like I said, we're not experts. Most of the people contacting us are saying, do you know someone who's been through this or could you point us in the right direction? So I can only imagine how busy you guys and you personally have been answering those questions. So, so uh, again, thank you for uh, taking some time to talk to us uh, here today. So I'm just going to fire some questions at you and 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 we'll 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 just go cuz uh, i mean i know we have limited time and i want to get in some of the uh kind of like a david letterman top 10 list of the questions we're getting into our office and Excellent. see if we can just plow through some of those um so probably one of the most common questions we get and 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 to be honest with you um from all the retailers and business owners we've talked to, I'd say the number of incidents has been relatively low. But we get a lot of questions about, what do I do if I have an employee who has tested positive for COVID? What am I required to do um, to protect that employee's uh, privacy? But what am I required to do to make sure that I uh, let my other employees or even customers know, which might be a separate question, is if you should or if you need to let customers know. So I'd say that's probably the number one question we get right now. And, and from your perspective, what, what, what needs to happen? Well, first of all, if somebody actually tests positive for COVID-19, you have to immediately begin gathering information from that employee regarding 
who and where that employee has come into contact with. And so what I always recommend is you have, you have to plan in advance, Dan. So this isn't something that happens and then you start coming up with a plan, but rather you need a plan in place before this actually happens. And so you want a group of employees designated to handle and tackle this situation. And this group of employees, typically HR or others, will sit down with this employee in a safe environment because you know this person has COVID-19 and you might have to do it by the phone. So you don't want to avoid any more transmission uh, of the virus. And you have to find out from this employee, every other employee with whom this employee may have had what I call close contact with within the last, believe it or not, 14 days. Okay. And it's impossible for people to remember what they did yesterday, but you want to try to see if they can retrace their steps as far back as possible and maybe up to 14 days, but at least get the next, the last 48 hours. And close contact is considered within six feet for more than five minutes. Okay. So if you just walk by people, that's called incidental contact. So you want to get a list of everybody that they've been in close contact with as far back as 14 days, but at least 48 hours, at least 48 hours. Then you'll have that list of employees. Then you want to know who they've come into incidental contact with in the last 48 hours. And then you want to know where do you typically walk around the facility? Sometimes it's easy. You go to one office, one desk, one workstation, et cetera. Sometimes they walk all over the place and you have to do that. Once you gather that information, you have to tell this employee, am I permitted to disclose your name? You have to get confirmation from that employee whether you're permitted to disclose a name. If they say yes, I would get it in writing. Okay, yeah. You can do it through an email. You can just confirm it or have them sign a piece of paper that you've already prepared. Uh, If they refuse, do not disclose their name. And and so just don't disclose it. And so Uh, when you're making contact with the other employees, you'd have to say an employee you've come in contact with has tested positive for COVID without giving any details beyond that. Exactly. And you might have them ask you questions like, hey, wait, who is it? I need to know. And you just have to tell them that employee privacy rights do not permit me to do so, just like I'm not going to disclose your name. Right. Yeah. And so the people in close contact, um, once you disclose all of those individuals, then you can tell them to self-quarantine themselves for 14 days. Okay. And if they were in close contact, you would want them to self-quarantine for four, up to 14 days. Okay. And the ones that were in, in, within incidental contact, just tell them to monitor their symptoms. You don't have to tell them to uh, self-quarantine, but rather monitor. Let them be aware that they may have been in contact with someone and to monitor. And if they develop a cough, a fever, congestion, uh, you know, the things that are associated with COVID-19, yeah. then they need to immediately get tested and or self-quarantine. You also need to have in place an enhanced cleaning protocol. Okay. So if you find out that the person was in three spots of the workplace, clean, enhance, clean that area, close it off, shut down that area for a period of time. 
there's, there's all kinds of different data. Should it be closed down for 48 hours? Should it be closed down for a week? Should it be closed down for two weeks? Mm-hmm. Um, there's really no right answer on that, Dan. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, the longer you can keep it shut down, obviously the better. But at a minimum, you want to shut it down for enhanced cleaning. I would keep it shut down at least three days okay. and have it cleaned each of those three days, certified by the company that cleans it, that they feel like they've done a very thorough job um, and any other parts for these where the individual may have come into contact with. Um, the last thing, it gets real challenging if you have a, a valid case of COVID-19, a confirmed case, and the person was one of these people that walked around everywhere in the company, everywhere. Yeah. Okay, do you shut down the entire company for 14 days? That's a tough call. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so what I would recommend in those tough call cases, contact your local health authority. Okay. And they will have the protocol in place for your local authority. And I have found them to be very helpful. Um, notwithstanding what we might think, they're not, they're, they're able to answer these questions and they will tell you, no, I think you ought to shut it down or no, I don't think you need to shut it down. And I would follow them because if you follow them, Dan, it's going to be harder for someone to later accuse you of doing something wrong if you followed the local authority guidance. Right. Yeah. Right. So you have something to fall back on for where you got your guidance. Um, you know, one thing we've heard too from some retailers is even turning to their security footage to watch when that employee was on a shift to see where they've, you know, the days they say, I, man, I, I can remember the last couple of days, but before that, they'll go back to security tapes and look at those to see where the employee was uh, was present in the store to get a better idea of where they might have been. Now, Mick, what, how is it different if someone comes to you and says, listen, I, we went to my sister's house over the weekend for Mother's Day or whatever, and I've been exposed. I have not tested positive, but I've been exposed to COVID. What should you do with that employee if they approach you from that sense? If they know they've been exposed to someone with confirmed COVID-19 infection, and they tell you that they were potentially in close contact with that confirmed case, then I would have them self-quarantine for 14 days. If they tell you, I went to a location and somewhere in the room was a confirmed case, I don't think I was in close contact. Okay. Again, means six feet, within six feet for over five minutes. Okay. If, if they know they were, it's like a birthday party and they touch people that were confirmed uh, infected with COVID-19, I would have them stay home for 14 days. Okay. All right. And it, when that, when you're asking them to self-quarantine, is that part of the PTO that they're going to be able to get from that? I, I mean, uh, you're going to pay them during that time that they're being quarantined? Well, that's your choice. Uh, technically, you don't have to in all those situations. Okay. But, but, but if you're sending someone home to self-quarantine, then typically I would pay for that through PTO or some other method. Okay. Because if you want to keep them as an employee, I think you, and you're the one telling them to stay home, uh, I would pay them some form of medical leave or PTO or whatever you have available. At a minimum, I wouldn't have them fall afoul of your attendance policy and then get terminated. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because that and, seems like that would open the door 
for someone okay. to come back. Yeah. Remember, if you tell them to stay home without pay, that under most states, partial unemployment, even though they're not terminated, they could file for unemployment for any week they earn less than the maximum weekly benefit of that state. Okay. All right. And so in Indiana, for example, where I'm located, $390 is the maximum uh, unemployment insurance benefit. So if you told somebody to stay home without pay, they could then apply for that week, even though they haven't lost their employment, for up to $390 of unemployment. And if they get that, Dan, they also get the enhanced federal CARES Act $600 of additional. Okay, okay. So they could make $990 a week that you send them home. That's for employers with less than typically 500 employees. Okay. Uh, but again, you have to be aware of that, that they would be entitled to potential unemployment. But most of my clients will pay for the employee to go home and self-quarantine. Okay. All right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, we were talking about a lot of the different situations and a lot of the confusion that's coming out there. And, and most recently, a lot of the confusion we're hearing is as different communities start to ramp things back up again. And there's, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're both here in Indiana. In fact, your office is literally a baseball throw from our office in downtown, but, uh, but, um, uh, in Indiana, Marion County, which is where Indianapolis is, is under different startup orders than the rest of the state. So, so we're hearing from all these different uh, uh, businesses and all these different states about some of the confusion over that and also some of the requirements as more people start coming into stores and more people start coming back. So, so let me ask you this. One of the questions we get a lot is, uh, is as areas are doing things like requiring masks in public, is an employer within their rights to require that if, if that area asks for, uh, if you're in public to have masks, to require their employees to wear masks while they're on duty? Absolutely. Um, even if your local community is not requiring masks. Okay. As an employer, uh, remember, most every state is an employment at will. Okay. And you could tell everybody to come to work and wear a white shirt. Uh, and in this particular situation, for health reasons, you're saying, I want everybody with a mask. Right. And somebody could say, well, the, my local community doesn't require that. Why are you doing that? Well, I'm trying to be extra safe. Okay. And you have the absolute right to put that requirement down. But then that leads to the obvious problem. Some employees will say, well, that violates my religious um, sure. belief, yeah. number one. Let's say somebody says, uh, I'm Amish. And my religious belief is I can't cover my beard with the mask. Right. Um, and the courts will require you to reasonably accommodate a valid religious belief. Okay. And, and you don't have to accommodate something if it causes an undue hardship okay. uh, to you, the employer. And if you have felt that to save or keep your employees safe, that masks are important, I don't think in this current environment, someone with a religious belief is going to override that personally. Okay. I might be wrong. This is all a novel area, no yeah. pun intended, <laughs> yeah. but, but this is a very, very new area. But I think now if, if you could accommodate an employee with a religious belief, Dan, by having them stay home and telework, that's oh, okay. an accommodation. Okay. 
okay, I'm going to let you can do your job. But if you cannot do your job other than being at work and you're going to have everybody else wear a mask, maybe you could have them wear a face shield. Okay. Yeah. So it's not a, right. It's an alternative. And the other type of uh, issue you're going to run into is medical issues. Right. Some employees will say, no, this aggravates my asthma if I wear a mask or I have a sensitivity to cloth or material or what have you. Uh, That's where you have to sit down with the employee and engage in what's called the interactive process where you try to gather information. And what I like doing is what does your doctor think would be a reasonable substitute for a mask? Yeah. Put it, put the onus on the employee's doctor. And the doctor might say, well, a plastic shield or they need to work from home. Okay. And as long as that's reasonable and you can do that fine, but if the person has to work there and they don't come up with any alternative, I feel you're okay to enforce it and tell them that I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to work. And now, of course, you know, this is unfortunately for unfortunate reasons been in the news lately, but what about how does that extend to customers? Um, Are you within your rights as a business owner to say you're not going to enter my business unless you're wearing a mask? Absolutely. And what a lot of my clients are now doing is having a sign in um, for all customers. And the sign in will say the list of questions. Have, Have you had a fever, a cough? congestion. Uh, They go through the COVID-19 symptoms. They ask whether or not you've traveled to one of the high-risk countries uh, or cities. Uh, For example, New York City. Have you been to New York City in the last 14 days? Uh, They will ask whether or not you've been in contact with someone known to have COVID-19. And you have to check no to every one of those. And then they'll actually take their temperature on top of then giving them a mask. So yes, you can absolutely require customers. And if the customer says, I'm not willing to do that, then you just politely, and you hate to do this because they're your customer. But if you're going to enforce it, you can politely say, well, that's a requirement to come onto our facility. And uh, you you touched on the concept of taking temperature. I'm assuming then it's okay to ask employees to have their temperature taken before they come on shift. Well, Indiana actually requires in many other states and local communities require every employer to have a plan in place for returning to work. And the plans almost always include some type of self-health assessment by the employee. And it can either be employee administered or it can be employer administered. Some employers who have the wherewithal you know, Fortune 500 companies who can put millions of dollars to this will actually have a team of people as you walk up, shoot your temperature. Yeah. Check your symptoms. Have you fill out every single day an assessment saying, I don't have one of these risk factors. Most companies can't do that. Right. And so they require an employee to sign a certification that I will do a self-health assessment every morning. Temperature, I take my temperature, I don't have a cough, I haven't been in contact with somebody, etc. Now that begs one of the following questions, and I don't mean this as a criticism, but some employees who can get unemployment right. yeah. will sometimes maybe not be truthful and say, oh, yeah, I have a headache. Yeah, okay. 
I have a cough. I'm coughing. 14 days, yeah. (laughs) And you might not get many employees, but I'm a strong believer that you need to have a certification in place where they are doing those things. And it reminds them every morning they wake up, do I have one of these symptoms? Yeah. And, and, I'm, and, and so it's the catch 22 is do you offer them benefits if they have to stay home and will they abuse it if you do? Right. Yeah. And uh, that brings kind of to another question with all of these things that we're talking about, whether it's wearing masks or taking temperatures, I would assume that you have to be very careful about applying that to every employee or can it be if it's someone who works in the office, I have a different kind of set of rules than if someone who works on the floor or someone who works in our manufacturing area, or should it just be, man, every employee it's, it's across the board. Everyone gets, gets the exact same treatment. You can definitely treat different groups of employees who have different types of jobs. And so if you have office people that can easily social distance, go in their separate offices, stay 10 feet apart, six feet apart, whatever you decide is the proper distance, then you don't have to require them to wear a mask. If you have production employees or workers who have to stay in close contact with one another, and there's really no way to avoid uh, breaking the six foot barrier, then you can definitely require them to wear masks or other protective gear uh, because you're not able to social distance. Yeah. Uh, and I have a lot of clients who have the wherewithal to do it, create uh, plastic barriers, plexiglass barriers between workstations. I have one client that's a manufacturer and they're almost on like an assembly line where the chairs are all lined up within three, four feet of one another. And so they put plexiglass between the stations to prevent the transmission in addition to requiring them to wear a mask. Okay. Um, now, as, as people start welcoming more employees back and, and, and kind of ramping up their staffing, I, I know there are going to be, and, and I mean, I think, you know, in, in, in your business and in our business, we'll probably face the same thing of some people that just say, I don't know that I'm comfortable coming back into, I, I know that the governor or whoever it is says it's okay right now, but I don't know if I'm comfortable coming back into work yet. What do you do in there? What, what advice would you give the employer? And that particularly if we're talking about um, I, I, if it's somewhere where someone could work from home, I, I, I'd imagine you just say, well, continue to work from home. But even sooner or later with that, you might say, well, I, I can't have you working from home forever. But in, in the area we're in, which is retail businesses, most of those people have to be in the business. What if an employee just says, I, I just don't feel coming back, comfortable coming back yet? What do you do in that situation? Or what advice would you give? Well, it's real common. And the first thing I would do, which is smart for all of these situations, is engage the employee in a fair conversation. Ask the employee what the basis is. Uh, why are they nervous? They might say, I have a health condition. Yeah. Don't ask them if they have a health condition, but just say, generally, why are you afraid? And they might say, well, I have asthma or I have a heart condition. Then that raises the American, Americans with Disability Act, the ADA, which requires you to engage them in the interactive process to determine whether or not you have to provide a reasonable accommodation for that employee because of a disability. They might say, I have a family member that is uh, compromised health-wise and I don't wanna bring it home to them. Uh, Again, the ADA could potentially apply to that or just 
being a fair employer, you might want to work with that employee to help that employee not infect a loved one at home. Uh, and so I would talk to them first. Now, if they just have a fear with no other underlying condition or family member, et cetera, then I would talk to them about the safety measures you have in place, everything you've done. And if they still refuse to come in, then you have to make a decision. Um, you can part ways with the employee and just say, listen, um, it, it's a job requirement that you come yeah. and you'll be supported in that way. That employee most likely will not even get unemployment because they're making a voluntary decision, which makes it tough on them. Uh, and so, but I think once you talk to them and here's where having a safe workplace where you're following CDC guidelines and you have a robust health and safety plan in place, because if you don't, this employee might do a complaint with OSHA. I am getting overwhelmed with OSHA complaints okay. where employees claim they're violating social distancing. They don't have a cleaning protocol and OSHA will investigate because you are obligated to have a safe workplace. And so if the employee isn't coming because you don't have a safe workplace, they might go to OSHA and you might get a retaliation claim against you. So you have to have your house in order, but if you've done everything right and they just generally aren't uh, comfortable coming to work, I don't blame them. It's a scary time, but you're not obligated to keep them employed. Right. Okay. All right. Well, kind of a question I'll leave you with is, is uh, one, are there any other things that you guys are hearing that we might want to make our listeners aware of? And kind of as a follow-up to that, I think there are a lot of people kind of waiting for the litigation shoe to drop. And meaning that when is the first time someone's going to say, I was self-quarantining, then I went and picked up dinner from your restaurant and the only other person I was around was my wife and the employees at your restaurant when I picked up dinner and I got COVID, I'm suing you for it. Um, or, or any other myriad things that could happen um, litigation-wise to this. Do you see that kind of on the horizon? Or do you think that they got, I mean, you know, who knows, but do you think that the government could step in with some kind of uh, litigation protection? Because I know that's been discussed uh, around this. But also, again, is there anything else that you're hearing that might be important to pass along to our uh, members and business owners? Yeah, those are good, good questions. And uh, I think litigation is going to go berserk okay. over the next, I mean. <laughs> I was kind of hoping you'd say, no, Dan, I, not, I don't think it's going to happen here. <laughs> I think it's, I think the Family First, you know, Coronavirus Response Act, the FFCRA. Yeah. I think you're going to have lawsuits after lawsuit claiming you violated that. Um, but let's talk about a couple of the issues that a lot of companies are worried about. Number one, workers' comp claims. Uh, could somebody argue that I caught coronavirus at work and, and, and therefore file a workers' comp claim? Um, yeah, I could see people doing that, but you have to prove that you caught it from work. I don't know how you do that. Right. I don't know how you do that. because But if they can narrow it down and show that a coworker got it and that's who they are around, yeah, they probably could do that. Now, here's something that's real important for your listeners. If you violate CDC guidelines or you violate local uh, governmental authority directives and you have your workplace open 
and somebody gets ill or God forbid somebody dies. And they then file a work comp claim or a personal injury claim against you. Well, most employers will say, wait a second, workers' comp is the exclusive remedy. You can't go beyond, you can't sue me for a personal injury. You can only sue me for works' comp, and that's the cap. If you can prove intentional misconduct on the part of the employer, then the employee can bring a personal injury claim for all the damages. And so the way they show intentional misconduct is you violated OSHA, CDC, a local health authorities directives. So Marion County, for instance, that said, we're closed down till the 15th. If someone says, you know what, I, I appreciate that, but the rest of the state's open, it's the 11th or 12th of May, I'm gonna open my business. And someone comes in and gets sick, then that, that's kind of the situation you're describing. Exactly, if it's an employee that gets sick and, and, and gets harmed by it, they're gonna sue you for personal injury. If a customer comes in and gets sick, they're gonna sue you for personal injury. And and that's where you want to be in compliance with that. Um, the other thing I want your listeners to be aware of, and I mentioned it earlier, is, is OSHA. OSHA, the Department of Labor, is really coming after companies that are not following basic guidelines. Okay. And they can shut you down. And they can issue penalties. And once you head down OSHA penalties, it can get pretty salty. And so you want to make sure that if you get a complaint, you only have five days to respond. So you're on a really tight time frame, And so you wanna make sure you get a good valid response or get your house in order. Uh, so litigation outside of that, I think it's primarily, Dan, gonna be under the Families First Coronavirus Act. If you're one of those employers that has to provide that type of relief and you have somehow violated that, I think we're going to see a lot of claims. Okay. And, you know, one thing that a lot of the retailers we've been talking to have said is document, 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 just everything you're doing, your cleaning procedures, talking to employees, just make sure you, 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 you maintain that kind of paper trail. Just so, so have your plan, but then document that plan. Is, is that pretty solid advice? Yeah, I would love, I know everybody's so busy and it's easy to tell everybody to do these things. And sometimes you just don't have the time. But if I gave everybody advice, if you could put together a game plan, and the game plan should be basically three parts. The first part is how to prevent transmission of the virus. Okay, that's the first part. And that's where you have the self-assessment, that's where you have social distancing, that's where you have PPE equipment available. Come up with a plan for that that fits your company. The second part of that is how do you respond to positive cases? And we talked about that earlier. How do you respond? And the third part of the plan is cleaning and disinfecting, enhanced cleaning procedures. That should be your three-part plan. And you should have it all listed on how you're going to react to each one of those situations and document it. And then every day when you have an incident or something, document what you've done. Uh, and you can't stay too up to speed on the way, because the, the law is breaking every, I don't know, five seconds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it yeah. changes so quickly. And I told everybody as a lawyer, I used to really pride myself on what I called really careful, well thought out advice. And in 35 years, knock on wood, I think I've been pretty accurate in the advice I've given. But I call that peacetime advice. Right. Now I'm in wartime. 
My wartime advice does has a pretty wide margin of error. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I understand. And we're all kind of shooting from the hip because this is brand new law and everybody's thinking quickly. Err on the side of being safe. Err on the side of listening to your employee. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. You can ultimately disagree with them. But courts love employers that at least sit down and try to understand the employee issue right. and then make a reasonable decision after that. Okay. Well, great advice. Mick, I, I appreciate you coming on and even shooting from the hip. It's, uh, you, you know, like you said, it is kind of the wild west out there right now. And, and just having any advice is better than just speculation. And, and, uh, and your years of experience certainly, uh, certainly uh, uh, give you the credence to come up here and uh, give us some advice. So uh, again, taking your time, and I know how busy you are, and we really appreciate it. Uh, it's going to help a lot of folks out and appreciate you coming on the program. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Any other questions, just let me know. All right. Thanks so much, Mick. Appreciate it. See you, Dan.